Well, to begin us out this morning, uh, Reverend Vern Norton has had a has something he's going to share, and then we'll go into worship. So, if you share what you're going to share, and and then uh, pray, and we'll we'll begin. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. It, it, boys, the body of Christ ever beautiful, and that that's that's from heaven to you. But uh, this morning, as uh, I was uh, reading some devotionals, it was impressed upon me that the vision is uh, for an appointed time according to Scripture. But the vision is based upon unity. And unity fueled, fueled by love, or like faith worketh by love, so the closer we are in that unity, the Holy Spirit told me to we're to love extravagantly in our unity. Did you hear what he said to love extravagantly in our unity? For unity will drive and unity will strengthen. Unity will power. Unity will take this vision and run it and it will run its race. But unity is what we're called to do together in that extravagant love. Because in the unity should be this love. Because the love of God has been shed abroad where? In our hearts. In our hearts. And that love needs to come forward because it will keep the unity. Because this whole thing is a, is a vision by God, from God, to us as a people. And we need to hear what the Spirit of God is saying. And it will go on through this day as there's speakers. But again, I believe what I heard that God will keep pulling us together. Tightly knit. Tightly knit. There was a, a, a prophecy or a word coming out about being knit together in love. For such a time as this. For such a call as this. Such a purpose of this. And I believe that God will keep manifesting himself in our midst all the time as this vision continues to grow and prosper in the things that God fuels us, guides us, hands us the tools to do it. For the tools will come. All the tools needed to put it together. Hallelujah. For whatever God starts, he finishes. Amen. And we're a finished product. Jesus said at the cross, it is finished. We need to carry that finishing work all the time. Because it's finished, all we got to do is step into the finished part, and that's the gospel. And keep winning people to the Lord. The more, the more love we have, the greater our output will be. You know, output is really an important thing because output is souls. Output is souls. If we keep it inside, we don't have no output. So we keep moving. And we keep moving it to the finish line because I believe that we're in the end, the last of the last days. And the finish line lies in front of us. But at the finish line, there's a lot of people that need to be saved. And this whole vision has to do with winning souls predicated about the love for God so loved the world that he gave. Now, we so love the people that we give. Right? We're charged to give. So we pray today that each speaker that will get up 
And the music that's here is anointed in that area of unity, bathed in the love of God, and you're anointed to do the things of God. Sing from your heart, give from your heart, for it will bring together us closer throughout that, that singing. Be blessed and strengthened. Let, let the tunes of heaven come from your heart. May your heart sing out things in the spirit realm that will touch us so we'll love you back and it will get brighter and stronger. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we pray over us today as a, as a body knit together in your purpose and your calling and that the churches that are here will continue throughout this year with the lifeblood of Jesus flowing through our veins. This unity that you've called us to be in, God, we are yielded to it. We're yielded to the leadership, for we follow your leadership as they follow you. And we will put it together, God, by the greatness of your power, by your might. And when it's all said and done, all we'll see is the glory of Christ being manifested on, on this calling and on the people in the, in the St. Croix River Valley. May you just strengthen us in every way. And may this day be bathed in the love of Christ, in the unity of Christ, in the calling of God that's put us here together so that we can magnify the name of Jesus Christ. We bow our hearts to you, heaven. We bow our hearts to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And our cry out to you today is, get us in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Father, even as you blew on the first man, Adam, and gave us breath, that breath keeps blowing. Father, this week we've been seeking you and we want we want more and more of you every moment father i pray that, that even this day we be we be being filled with your presence in a deeper way father we glorify you we give you praise and honor we thank you father for your love towards us in jesus name amen amen well be to start us out, and it's been the last, been this way the last few years, uh, and uh, it's always he's always uh, been very good at getting us going. I want to introduce to you Pastor Jonah Fetzer. This is the first year I had the the advantage of having worship before I started, so, <laughs> so we're getting to start off on a good note. We've been we've been covering uh, it, John's verse that's kind of been laid on his heart was out of Luke 19. And uh, before John even told me what the verse was, God had laid some stuff on my heart. And I'm like, okay, God, how does this fit? It does fit. But let's turn to Luke 19. And I want to read a little bit of that, and then we'll jump into what I have to share. Luke 19, verse 12. A certain noble man went into the far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants and delivered to them ten minus and said to them, Do business until I come. Do business until I come. It's about engaging in the Father's business. That's what John has been on John's heart. We need to be engaged in the Father's business. 
Well, you know, when you have a business, there's a business model. And there's things that are set up in a certain way. There's certain people that are put in charge, put in authority. So that things run smoothly. Because if there's no, if there's no orchestration within a business, it's chaos. Could you imagine how uh, the military would run without organization? How the postal service would run without organization? How Microsoft would run without organization? The operating systems on your phones and your computers how they would run without organization. God's kingdom runs with organization. It's not a free-for-all. And so what God's laid on my heart is out of Ephesians 4. That's where we're going to start anyways. But we've got a lot of stuff in here that I I feel like I need to cover. And, And John is already limiting my time. He said I have until 11.30 and... It started out with take as long as you want, and now he's, he's knocked me down to an hour, well, less than an hour, 45 minutes. <laughs> You'll just have to turn around. We'll be eating over there. You can keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> Not a problem. Not a problem. I have no problem with that whatsoever. So we're going to Ephesians verse chapter 4. And we're going to start in verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I heard you speaking earlier about sharing about unity. (laughs) And I knew this was in here. Unity. Unity. Endeavoring to keep the unity in the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body. There's one body. Jesus isn't divided. His church is not divided. You know, sometimes we, we, we keep parts away from other parts. You know, the elbow is separated from the ankle. So, you know, sometimes we've got to keep parts separated. That's just a joke. <clears throat> there's one body. There's one spirit. Just as you were called into one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. But to each of you, to each one of us, Grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Each one of you. Okay, we've we've gone from unity to individual. We're unified, but each of us has grace according to Christ's gift. Therefore, I say, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended... What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? Who he descended is also one who who ascends far above all the heavens that he might fulfill 
all things. We're all part of this, his one body. He ascended into heaven that he might fulfill all things. He's fulfilled all things. And he himself gave some. He himself gave some. He himself gave some to be apostles, to be prophets, to be evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry. For the work of the business. Four, twelve, verse twelve, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity, there it is again, of the faith. And all the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What I want to talk to you about is the operating officers, those that are God's put in charge, the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Why did He give them? For organization, for unity, to make sure that we all come to the unity of the faith. Come to the knowledge of the perfect man in Christ Jesus. But who gave them? Jesus gave them. And it says He gave some. Just before service, as we were going through the the worship time, a thought came to me. He gave some. And and I was reminded of when when I was about 14. And I had a youth minister come to our church and, and he exposed me to the life-giving gospel at a Lutheran church. It, it can happen. <laughs> and this, this man, he came in and it, it wasn't through his, his words, but through the demonstration of the gospel. What was that demonstration? Love. The love that he had towards the kids, the love that he had towards the people around him was what got me. And he introduced me to a God who is relevant through Christian rock music. You know, I was a kid. But I listened, I listened to this. I said, this is a God who's relevant, who's trying to reach out to me. And you know what I said? This was my salvation prayer. That's God and I'm going to serve Him. Serve Him. And it, it reminded me, even from the beginning, that God calls some to serve. God calls some to serve. Not everyone is called to serve. Not everyone is called. It says He gave. Why does He give? For the equipping of the saints. That this, the gifts that are given are given for you. The gift that I have, it's not for me. Most of the time it gets me into trouble. But it's for your benefit. It's to bless you. Those people who are in your life, who are ministers, the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teacher, teachers are gifts for you, for your edification. And you need to realize that they're there for you, for you to grow, 
for you to learn, to keep you in the unity of the faith through the bond of peace. And that's not to say that we're perfect. We're just called. And he gives it. I don't get to choose what gift I get. I have the gift that God gave me. I may want another gift. I may want to do something else. But I don't have that freedom. Vern is what he is. John is what he is. Pastor Dan is what he is. Those of us that are called are all called to a specific thing. Our gifting is given. And we can't change that. And we need to know where our lines are so that we can minister in that area. Some of you are called. And you need to know where the lines are. What it is that God's asked you to do. And it says that each one, He's given to each one. He gave the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and teacher. The apostle is the sent one. The prophet's the seeing one. The evangelist is the calling one. The pastor is the caring one, and the teacher is the instructing one. We need all of them. We need all of them. An apostle is a sent one, a delegate, especially an ambassador of the gospel, a sent one. You know where we need that gift is when they go on the mission field. They're a delegation. They're going. They're going to establish the gospel. That gift has got to go there. We send ambassadors. You know, it says that apostles are ambassadors. The word uh, apostle came from uh, what they've determined is uh, a ship, ships that were sent out to go establish a community somewhere. It was kind of a naval term that was originally used, but then the, the church took it. Why did, why did Jesus use this term? Because Jesus is the one that started it with the apostles. Why did he use this term? It came to represent and mean an ambassador. What do ambassadors do? We have ambassadors in the United States, and we send them to other countries. We send them to other countries to establish relations with those countries. Apostles are those that establish relationships. In, in, in our, our common understanding, those who begin to build things in the body of Christ, they establish things. They're sent to do a work. They're sent ones. Because the King of Kings says, I need this ambassador to go and do this thing. Some of you are called to be apostles. The prophet, the seeing one, to speak forth, to speak out. One who speaks forth. It's a compound word that is from before and to make known one's thoughts. To speak out before one's thoughts. The indication is, is that one that declares before it happens. Where a lot of times we think of prophets as ones who foretell the future, tell us what's about to happen. But that's not the only 
point of the prophet. The prophet also tells us what's happening now or explains something that might have happened. He's the one that's foretelling the thoughts of God. Revealing that which God is doing, has done, is doing, and will do. In the, in the Greek writings, this word prophet is used as an interpreter of oracles or of other hidden things. The one who sees. I've heard it expre- expressed as the, the gift of seeing and knowing. And we need them. We need that gift. And some of you have that gift. Some of you are called to be prophets. To see and to know and to reveal the hidden things. There's evangelists. The calling one. The trumpet. The one declaring. The one proclaiming the good news. The gospel. The great news of good joy. The gospel. The word gospel. That news which is too good to be true. And they have, they have the privilege and the honor of declaring that wherever they go. And declaring it. And they have, they have a place within the body as well. Because they're the ones that stir us up. And remind us of the lost. And remind us of the need in this world for those who are without hope. Proclaiming the gospel. The preacher. There's the pastor, the caring one. The herdsman, the shepherd, literally shepherd. The caring one. The one who tends to the flock. Who sees over its goodwill to make sure that it gets where it needs to go. To help it when it breaks its leg or gets itself entangled in the thicket. Pastors are incredibly needed within the body of Christ. Because sheep are dumb. (laughs) Speaking from personal knowledge, sheep are dumb. You know, an interesting thing about sheep, if, if you have one sheep by itself around another animal, it will begin to think it's the other animal. Some of you, you, you ministers out there, please use that one in any sermon that you feel free to use it in. <clears throat> exactly. Why is it important those that we hang around with? That's why. Teachers, the instructing one. One who teaches concerning the things of God and the duties of man. We need Teachers. We need them to lay it out. Lay it out for us. Come on, teachers. Show us what it is. Line upon line. Precept upon precept. What does this mean? And what's our responsibility in it? We need those gifts. We need the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastors and teachers. And all these gifts are useless without Jesus. We don't get to pick the calling. Jesus picks it for us. But just because we're called does not mean we qualify. 
You can be called and never qualify. And that's the next set of scriptures. 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 3. If you want to walk into one of these offices, you believe that God has a call on your life to be an apostle, prophet, evangelist, a pastor and teacher, then you need to qualify. If you're going to run in a marathon, well, let me if you're going to compete in the Olympics, you need to qualify. You have to meet certain requirements in order to compete upon that field. In order for you to compete or to operate in the field of ministry, you must qualify. There's a lot of people out there that are ministering and calling themselves these things, and they've never qualified. Verse 8. Likewise, Deacons must be reverent, not double-minded, not given to much wine, nor greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience, not letting, but let these also first be tested. Let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Let their wives not, their wives must be reverent, not slanderous, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husband of one wife, ruling their children and their households well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and a great boldness in the faith which is Christ Jesus. Deacon. The word that's used there is translated 20 times minister. Eight times servant, three times deacon. What are we talking about? Ministry. Ministers. Deacons. All of those above, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, pastor, and teacher, are deacons. Ones who execute the commands of another, especially of a master. We all have a master. His name's Jesus. He came to earth, stood upon this ground as God in man to live out his life, to show us a way, and then die to receive for himself a kingdom which we who call upon the name of Jesus, have chose to accept His Lordship as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That means He is the CEO. He is the grand potentate. He is the one in whom all of us must answer to. And these are His his ministers, His servants, those called to serve Deacons. A deacon, one who by virtue of the office assigned to him by the church cares for the poor and has charge to distribute money collecting for their use. And that comes from the specific first time we see ministers established after the apostles 
were so inundated in ministry and taking care of others, they said, we need more people. We need more people to help. Ministers, deacons, are helpers. They're there to do the work, to help out. Now I want to make this, this statement. You can choose to agree with me or not. But in my estimation, not all deacons are of the fivefold ministry. Not everyone who is a deacon is necessarily called to be an apostle, a prophet, evangelist, a pastor, a teacher. But an apostle, a prophet, a pastor, and a teacher must be a deacon. They have to qualify. You have to qualify for that. Or you cannot, you don't qualify to be one of these called ones. And I, I heard a minister say this, and I thought it was fantastic. It actually kind of helped me a little bit. He said, you know what? If you don't qualify, then get qualified. Just because you don't qualify for it right now doesn't mean that you can't. Doesn't mean that you're excluded forever. It means you've got some work to do, like we all do. And so you begin to work on it. If God has called you and you want to step into the office of a deacon, you believe that's where God has called you, to be a helper in the body of Christ, to be a minister in the body of Christ, then look what you need to do and begin to qualify yourself. Our, the ministry, the fivefold ministries are all deacons. Now, we need to jump back to the beginning part of that chapter. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. And we'll get the other part of the operating officers in the bishop. The bishop must be one who's blameless, the husband of one, one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable to each, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine or violence, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome or covetous, to rule his own house. How will he, if he can't rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, thus being puffed up with pride, will fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Who's the bishop? The bishop is translated overseer. We call them pastors. That's what they're talking about right here. The pastors. Those who rule over the individual houses of God. This is the overseer. Man charged, an overseer is a man charged with the duties of seeing that the things are done by others are done rightly. They can be a guard, they're like guardians or superintendents. In my search of this, I came across something interesting. It says in uh, chapter, in verse 1, it says, He who 
desires to be the desires the office of a bishop desires a good thing that term that's used the office of bishop is only used four times in the new testament twice once it's uh the office of bishop the other time it's talking about the office of i'll get there it's uh judas when he fell, and they were looking to replace his office. It's bishopric, is how it's translated. His office. The other two times it's used as the day of visitation. Jesus said, If you had known the day of visitation, if you had known the day of visitation, the day when the Lord came, to visit, to inspect, to know. So this office is kind of wrapped up in that. The one who knows and is responsible in the house of God for making sure that it is ready for the day of visitation. I want you to understand that those people that we call pastors are really this office of the bishop. I don't want to change the terms, but I want you to understand. It's a higher level. It's the next step. It's, that's why when a, a minister comes into a house, they need to submit to the one whom God has placed in charge over the day of visitation so that everything works in proper order and is in order and unity for the Lord our God. To be a bishop is to have a heavy responsibility because you know you know who the Lord's going to talk to first. What have you done in my house? It says, seek not many of you to be teachers, to be masters, to be those who are over the body because don't you know you will receive a stricter judgment? What, what have you done with my people? That's what the Lord will say to us. What have you done with my people? Have you taught them faithfully? Anyone who's ministered any length of time understands the weight of having the Lord say, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? These people you need to give respect to because they're there for your benefit. And you know what? If you think that your pastor, your minister is out of line, you know what the best thing that you can ever do? Pray for them. Because we are human just like you. We go through the same struggles and the devil sees the big shiny target on us and says, if I take them out, Oh, look at the mess I get to make in the kingdom of God. Right? We need your prayers. We need you to pray for us that we would stay faithful to course, that we would speak, you, speak the word to lead you into unity and guide you. Because know this, we pray for you without a doubt 
day after day, night after night. Sometimes, every moment of every day, certain ones of you are always on our mind. All right, now I've gotten that out of the way. I'm making good time. That is the structure within the church. That we have those who are over us to keep us in unity. To lead us and guide us, to correct us when we need to be corrected. But the whole body has a part to play in this business. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1. I'm going to talk about the gifts. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. This is how he starts it out. Paul doesn't want us to be ignorant of spiritual gifts. Of course, the indication is is that perhaps they were. And how how many of our churches, how many of us are ignorant of spiritual things? We've lost a lot. But thank God for His Holy Spirit. You know that you were once Gentiles, carried away to these dumb idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but the same God who works all in all. There are diversities of the gift, mean many kinds. There's many different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. Gifts are given by the Spirit. There are different ministries. We covered that. There are different ministries, but one Lord. There's different administrations, but one God who works all in all. You have the Holy Spirit that gives gifts. You have Jesus who gives orchestration. He gives uh, structure. And you have God who's working everything together. God has many things that He's doing throughout the world, throughout our communities. God's got all these activities that He's doing. And the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ are all working together with the Father to accomplish a purpose. That's to establish the kingdom of God. Verse 7, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. 
For to one is given the word of wisdom, through the Spirit another the word of knowledge, through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, and to another interpretation of tongues. But one in the same Spirit works all of these, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Who gives these gifts? The Holy Spirit gives these gifts to each one. To each one. To each individual. To each person. He gives gifts. He gives a gift. Who does it benefit? Exactly. All. You know, when God gives you something, when He gives you a gift to use, it's given for all, not just you. And just so you know, I'm guilty. There's many times the Lord has spoken to me and I haven't said anything. Why? Fear. Intimidation. Who am I? What do I, what do I know? Well, it's not what I know. It's what God gave. There is no way, there's no way that I can cover all of the information in these scriptures in, I'll take 20 minutes, 15 minutes. It's just no way. There is so much in here. In preparing for this, I have my brain so crammed full of facts and information. Hours and hours. And I have to limit myself. I need to constrain myself. Because this is part of the gift. The gift is subject to the individual. You know, I can say, well, God, God's laid in my heart. I've got to give you everything. No, I have to give you what I have time to give you and what you're able to handle. You know, when, the, when these gifts work through you, you're in control of them. Because they were given to you as an individual. And you have, the, you have the complete freedom to either use it or not use it. We're, during worship, we're singing uh, about the authority of God and who can stop Him. And the thought came to me, we can. How do you like them apples? You can stop them. Because God wants to use you to touch somebody's life. I can stop him. I mean, right now, I can close my Bible and go sit down. I would be done. But then I wouldn't have given you everything that God's asked me to give you. So in brief, the word of wisdom. Knowing what to do about something. There's natural wisdom that we just have. Somebody who, you know, works in an industry, knows about tools and machinery, might have natural wisdom on how to take apart and make something that you wouldn't normally make. You say, okay, I can, I can tweak this machine and that machine and I can make this part just by doing a couple of different things. That's wisdom. That's taking knowledge and applying it in a different way. Knowing what to do with the knowledge. Knowing what to do about something. 
The gift of wisdom. Let me show you where Jesus used it. A bunch of people brought this woman caught in adultery and throw him, throw her at Jesus' feet and say she was found in adultery. Moses said that we need to stone her. What do you say? What did Jesus say? He said, you who is without sin, throw the first stone. Gift of Gift of wisdom. Word. Word of wisdom. That kind of gift is available to you. To in a situation, in a circumstance, for you to all of a sudden have wisdom to know exactly what needs to be said. To silence the enemy. A word of knowledge. Knowledge is information. Knowing that which you wouldn't normally other no, otherwise know. Jesus used this gift when he's speaking to the woman at the well. And he said to her, go call your husband. He knew. She said, well, I, he's not my husband. He says, no, it's not. You had five of them. And the person that you're with now isn't your husband. How did he know that? Word of knowledge. It's a word of knowledge. To all of a sudden know information about the situation that there is no way possible that you could know it. You know what? That gift is available to you. Faith. Being fully convinced. To being fully persuaded. This isn't, this isn't faith like we get saved kind of faith. This is a gift of faith. Being absolutely convinced about something and having no doubt. Jesus used this when he spoke to the fig tree. He said, I curse you and no one will ever eat of you again. And it dried up from the roots. <laughs> the disciples said, Lord, look at the tree you cursed. Jesus wasn't surprised. He says, yeah. He says, if you have faith, if you had faith, you can do the same thing. It's the gift of faith. Do you know you, you can have that gift? Gifts. Gifts. Gifts, plural, of healing. Healing. Jesus used this when he spit upon the ground, made clay, and he put it in the guy's eyes. It's a gift of healing. He made a blind man see. You can have that gift. And I say gifts, plural. An interesting thing that I came across when reading about Azusa Street is that there were individuals there and they specialized in healing certain illnesses. There was a guy there who had a propensity for healing blind people. There was a lady there that had the gift of healing people's teeth and seeing them grow back. <laughs> gifts there are um, when you listen to people who operated in gifts of healing you begin to find out they had a particular affinity towards certain things Smith Wigglesworth had an ability to lay hands on people who had appendicitis and see him healed I mean it was, it was something that he remarked on 
how it was something that just that always worked for him. I'm thinking probably because he went through it. <laughs> he had faith to overcome that one. But that's a gift that's given. Working of miracles. The working of miracles. Oh, miracles. The word there, miracles. Do you know what that word is? Deutimus. Deutimus. Power. Dynamite. The working of miracles is the working of power. Power. When did Jesus use this? Oh. <laughs> no, I'll give you a specific. It's cool. When they came to arrest him, he said, I am he. And they fell backwards. Power. Hundreds. You say, whoa, you know, you see these ministers waving their arms and people falling out. What is it? Power. It's the gift of the working of power. But you know what? You can have that working in you. It's not a ministry gift. It's a Holy Spirit gift. Prophecy. Forthtelling. Speaking the will of God. You can have that gift. Jesus used this gift. In the beginning of His ministry, He opened the book and He said, For the hand of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me to heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead. Today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. He spoke the now word of God. He revealed the will of God in that circumstance and situation. You know what? You can have the ability to reveal the will of God in situations and circumstances. God can show you things. Discerning of spirits. To know what's going on in the spiritual realm. Paul uses this gift. He's got a fortune teller girl following him around and he's grieved in his spirit. Days and days and days go by and he doesn't do anything about it. And all of a sudden, he turns and he says, come out. Why? Because the gift began to operate and he realized what was going on. We have the advantage of seeing that the woman had a spirit of fortune telling after. There's no indication that Paul really knew that she had a spirit of fortune telling until after. But when he realized what was going on, he commanded the spirit to come out. He knew it. He knew He discerned the spirit that was operating because the spirit was saying everything right. This is the man of God who has come to show us the way of truth. How are you going to know that's, that's a demon saying that? I wouldn't. But the gift in operation showed up. You can have that spirit. You can have that same gift operating when somebody comes to you and says, Hey, I'm just, I'm just here to love you and show you the way. Just follow me. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit can show you, this guy's a deceiver. This guy's trying to con you out of something. Different kinds of tongues. To speak in a language you have not learned. They did this on the day of Pentecost. They began to speak in other tongues. And each person heard them speaking in their own language. This is a gift. To be able to speak in a language you don't know. And with that also is interpretation of tongues. 
to understand the language that you don't know. How do you, you were in a foreign country and somebody starts talking to you. You don't know their language. The Holy Spirit can supernaturally give you the ability to understand what they're saying. Interpretation of tongues. That's a gift of the Holy Spirit. And here's the reality. All of these things are gifts given by the Holy Spirit to each one. It doesn't say to some. The apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and teacher are given to some. These gifts are given to all. There is not a person here who is exempted from partaking of any of these gifts. But it's not as we desire, but as the Holy Spirit desires. But know this, the Holy Spirit is faithful. The Holy Spirit is loving and kind and generous. And He wants to work with you. He wants to bless you. He wants to encourage you. And we need to not be ignorant that these things are absolutely possible in our daily lives to be operating on the job, in the supermarket, in your car as you're traveling with a coworker, or a friend or family member. I don't care where you are. You could be in the bathroom. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes upon you and gives you something. Now you might want to use a little bit of wisdom and maybe wait until you're out of the bathroom to you know, actually act upon it. You know, some people might be a little weirded out by that. (laughs) But it can happen anywhere. And we need to be open to that because the Holy Spirit's looking for people to use. And you can be used. And He wants to use you. Oh, He wants to use us. (laughs) He wants to confirm His Word with signs and wonders. You know what His Word is? Jesus. Jesus is His Word. Became flesh. Jesus. If we want to understand God, we look to Jesus. 1 Corinthians 14, 32 and uh, 33 says, And the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. For God is not the author of confusion, but peace. And then if we jump down to verse 40, it says, let all things be done and decently in order. We need these gifts to be operating within our churches. You need to use the gifts that the Lord has placed upon you in service. In service. Why? I mean, we're called to use them everywhere we go. We're called to use it. But I'm going to turn back. And this is where we're going to well, hopefully finish. <clears throat> we'll see. We're going to turn back to Luke 19. I'm going to go back to those verses that are part of this whole conference weekend and the week devoted to God and probably the next year. Right, John? Amen. To do business. Because this is God's business. And He has given gifts to people. He's given them Ability. He gave his servants money. Well, it's not about money. This isn't about money. It's about ability. And what is the ability that God has given you? What is the gift of the Spirit that God has laid upon you 
Some of us have an affinity to work in certain gifts than others, but understand that all of these gifts come from the Holy Spirit. And you can work in all of these gifts at any moment, in any time, as the Holy Spirit determines is necessary. A certain nobleman went into a far country, verse 12, to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten minus and said to them, Do business till I come. But the citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, We'll not have this man to reign over us. And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know how much every man had gained in trading. The first came and said, Master, your ten has, learned, has earned ten. And he said to them, Well done, good and faithful servant, because you have, who are faithful over very little have authority over ten cities. And the second came saying, Master, your, your minus has earned five minus. And likewise he said to him also, Be over five cities. Then another came, Master, here is your minus, which I have kept away in a handkerchief for I feared you because you are an austere man and you collected where you did not deposit and you reap where you did not did not sow and he said to them out of your own mouth I will judge you you wicked servant for you knew I was an austere man collecting what I did not deposit and reap what I did not sow why then did you not put your money in the bank that I may have collected it with interest and he said to those who stood by, take the minus from him and give it to the one who has ten. You have gifts and abilities. God has placed upon your life an ability to minister to all. There's a gift that God has placed in each one of us. And here's my admonition to you. If you can't do anything with it, at least let it be in the bank, which is the church of God, the house of God, the people of God, and minister with the gift God has given you to the people of God. Don't you dare be out on your own doing nothing with what God has given you. Because we need it. Why is the church weak and anemic? Because the gifts aren't operating. Because people are sitting on their hands doing nothing with what God has given them. This isn't about us ministers. We're here for you. To serve you. To do the work of the ministry. You're supposed to be doing the work. Which means the gifts of God are meant to flow through you. We're just here to help you along the way. You do not want to be that servant standing before God. Saying, here you go, Lord. What you've been given to me, here you go. I, I, I made sure that I kept it all of my days. I didn't do anything with it. I made sure that it was pristine and pure. There's no dirt on it. It's clean. I protected it. You foolish and wicked servant, didn't you understand? I wanted increase. 
I wanted more. It's not about money. It's not. The business is the souls of men. And God has given us the ability to reach them. And that's the gifts. And all of you have the ability to use them. I thank you, Father. I thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit. I thank you, Father, for your Son, Jesus Christ. I thank you, Father, for the gifts that you've given. And I thank you, Lord, for the ministers that you've given, that they are gifts. Lord, help us to cherish those gifts that you've given and to use them to their fullest. That your name can receive glory and honor inside and outside of the church. Father, I pray that you would stir up in each one of us the gifts of the Holy Spirit and that they would begin to operate from this day forward in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.